You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are glad that you're here. You guys sounded great, by the way. That extra hour of sleep, you guys were just going for it. So go to bed early next week. I'm telling you, same, same effect, getting an extra hour. Anyway, we'll talk about that later, but uh, we're glad you're here. So uh, when I started college, I wasn't sure what to major in. I was 18 up until that point from about age 13 until then. Uh, my only goal was to become a rock star by the time I was 20, and so the school wasn't offering a bachelor's in heavy metal degree, so I really needed to figure something out. I was probably about nine months away from becoming a Christian, so I didn't have a ton of direction. So I went to see the guidance counselor, and after talking for a few minutes, she asked me to follow her into the library where we went. Uh, she sat me down at a computer, and she started this test. Now, the test said that it was going to reveal with 99.9% accuracy what I should devote my life to. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good test. So now, a couple things you need to know about me, for those of you that might be a little newer around here. Um, I was not a very good student in high school. I peaked in college. I did not do well in high school. I was on what's called the five-year plan uh, to finish. So I went just to really soak it in. I went an extra year. And uh, so, but as I tell my kids that being a senior was the best two years of my life. And, you know, so, and, 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 you know, you just fail a bunch of classes. And so like I failed algebra one and then, uh, so they're like, you know what we should do next year? We'll put you in algebra one again and geometry, but it was a clean sweep. I failed both the next year. And so then they're like, wow, you're a junior, but you have no math credits. So then they just put me in a bunch of math classes to try to get me to have, uh, the math. So they put me in like the most basic of math. They put me in one class that was just called math. And, uh, and that was, that was, and then they put me in another class that was called consumer math. And this is for all the mutants that can't do algebra and geometry. And uh, it was the most basic math you could do and it'd still be legal in the state of Florida. And so that was like, and I'll give you an example of what consumer math was like. Consumer math, we spent an entire week learning how to write a check. Now, I want you to think about how you learned how to write a check. I know some of you are under the age of 20. You're like, what's a check? But anyway, for the rest of us, um, my guess is it probably, maybe someone helped you. It took you about five minutes to learn. Maybe you were totally by yourself when your first checkbook arrived. But you probably gave it in a quick examination. And within, let's say, 10 minutes, you learned how to write a check. We spent an entire week. Every, every time we walked into class that entire week, my teacher, Mr. Randall, he would hand us a packet uh, of all the, it's like five or 10 stapled pages. And then it had uh, just like three checks on each page, flip it over, three more checks. Then we had a list of all these places that we had to write checks to. The mutants that were in that class could not figure that out. And I was just like, what am I even doing here? And so, uh, because they, when it would say like the date, they'd be like, yes, I'd love a date, you know. It, and then there was one part that said sign and they wrote Capricorn or, who, you know, whatever. So anyway, this was just... This was a rough situation, all right? So anyway, um, back to my test. I'm filling this out. It takes, me it takes me 30 minutes to fill out this test. 
And then um, it, was, it was connected to a, a dot matrix printer, if you remember those. There's a, you know, one of those. So then you kind of rip the thing off. It has the holes on the sides. And so I rip it off to find out what my thing is. And it tells me with 99.9% .9 accuracy that I should become a mathematician. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for that. So now... I think what's frustrating is that all of us wish that there was a test that we could take that would really help us figure it out, that what, what we should do with our lives, what our gifts are, and, and, and it's, it's, it's usually not that easy, right? It, usually there's some trial and error. There's some things that you think you're good at. You figure out you're good at some of them, maybe not good at the others. There's some skills that you learn, some experience that you pick up along the way, and, and hopefully, if we're believers, as we grow and walk with God, there's some godly direction that he gives us about what we should do with our lives and invest our years. Now, let me tell you what happens too, especially if you're a parent in the room. Uh, there's something that we do to our kids that is just needlessly confusing. We do it out of the right heart. But I'm just telling you, we're not doing our kids any favors when we tell them, you can be whatever you want to be. Um, and just, you know, the world is yours. Do whatever you want. Like, first of all, that's not true. It would only be true if you were good at everything. None of us are good at everything. No matter how hard I try, I will not be a ballerina, right? And besides that, leotard is way too tight. And so the, the, the second thing is, is that as parents, um, our job as parents is not to tell them that everything is possible, but instead to know our kids so well that we start speaking words into their lives that begin to clear the confusion and narrow what they should be doing because we know who they are. And we're helping them understand who they have been created to be. The third thing is, and this is especially true for those of us that are Christians, is that we should be and we should have our kids seeking to be operating out of a sense of calling in their lives, not just, you know, picking from a list of available careers. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in our text today in the book of Acts, we're going to see people called by God, gifted by God, and moving in that calling and gifting. Now, if, if you're not aware and you're just joining us, the book of Acts is the story of the growth, development, and expansion of the early church after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is the 20th message in our series, and we're almost halfway there, so cue up the Bon Jovi song because we're going to make it. And, um, but what we're going to see today is that the gospel is going to begin to move beyond the borders of the land of Israel and instead now go into the rest of the world. And here's why this is important and why this message is important, because if you've struggled with decisions that you need to make, then this message is really going to help you. If you've wondered, man, how do I even get direction from God and, 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 and walk in that, this is really going to help. If you're saying, man, how do I kind of, I think I know what God wants me to do. How do I confirm that and know that it's the right thing to do? This is going to help you uh, as well. And if you're saying, I'm just trying to figure out what my future looks like and what to do with my life, then listen, this is really going to speak to you in our time together. So we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to get to the very end. We stopped at verse 24 last week of chapter 12. We're going to pick up the last verse because the last verse of chapter 12 should probably be in chapter 25 because it's all part of the same paragraph. But So we're going to start there in verse 25. Here's what it says. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who's called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we're going to look at when we talk about how to see the future and how to see our future. The first is this, is that the future begins with God's call. It begins with the calling of God on your life. Now, when I talk about your, uh, your future, I'm talking about the future that God has for you, not whatever future we want to cook up for ourselves and just do our own thing. But God's future for your life begins with a calling. And this is what we see. We see leaders in the church, these five leaders. It begins with someone that we know. It ends with someone that we know in Barnabas and Saul. And then the other three we don't know a ton about. Now, let me back up a little bit. This is all happening in the church at Antioch, uh, or what's called Antioch of Syria. And I mentioned this in a previous study that when we were in chapter 11, that this church will become the second most important church in the early church outside of the church in Jerusalem. Now, five leaders are mentioned. They're called prophets and teachers. We know Barnabas and Saul. We don't know much about the other three. The most interesting one is this gentleman whose name is uh, Menahem, which is a Hebrew, a Greek version of the Hebrew name uh, Menahem, which is uh, named after one of the kings of Israel. But it says that he was brought up, literally that term means that he was fostered by, uh, with uh, Herod the Tetrarch. Now, last week we went into the whole, if you were here last week, you know we did the whole family drama of the Herod family and all that kind of stuff. So I won't go into it, but you're like, you didn't talk about Herod the Tetrarch. Well, the Tetrarch is a, um, is a, a title, like monarch. Tetrarch means that he's just partially controlling the land. Um, but that, this is Herod Antipas, same guy. Uh, Herod Antipas is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. He's the guy that Jesus stood before him in one of Jesus's six illegal trials that happened after he was arrested. Now, I want to sidebar for just a minute and talk about something that I get asked about when it comes to prophets uh, the role of prophets and the role of apostles um, in the New Testament church. So I want to take just a minute and talk about that because I do get questions sometimes about are there prophets and apostles today like the, not, uh, like the role, like I am a prophet, I am an apostle, like we saw in the early church. And so I, I, so I want to take a minute and describe that. Now, so let me, let me back up for a second. During this time in, in, in the, the early church, the first century, prophets in the New Testament period or, or in the first century were teaching, and we only have two instances where someone who is called a prophet predicts the future. Um, and it's two very specific things. One is about a famine that we read about a couple chapters ago. The other we'll see in the future. Um, he ties Paul's, he ties his hands with Paul's belt. And he says, so will the person whose hands, uh, whose belt this is, be tied. And that is predicting that Paul was going to go to Jerusalem and be arrested. So primarily, though, uh, prophets in the New Testament weren't like Old Testament prophets like Isaiah or Ezekiel or, you know, the minor prophets where they were just, everything they did was predicting the future. That's not the... Um, that wasn't the primary role. The primary role of the, the prophet was more teaching. And, uh, and, we'll, and this is where I think the gift 
of prophecy and the office of a prophet are two separate things. I believe the gift of prophecy is still in operation um, because we see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. What we don't see, and we see that, by the way, throughout church history, that people function in this gifting. What we don't see throughout church history are people functioning in the office of prophet. Um, after the New, the New Testament period uh, or the first century, the, 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 this ro- the, that first hundred years or so, we don't see people operating in that up until about a hundred years ago where it becomes popular more in Pentecostal circles. Um, but the role of the prophet in the New Testament church was to help us discern God's will. This was, again, before the completion of the New Testament documents. Once that was completed, we don't see a need for the office so much anymore. Now, the gift of prophecy is something totally different because you can have the gift of prophecy and not be a prophet. You just have that spiritual gift. And we see that throughout church history. And that's not so much foretelling the future as it is foretelling the truths of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul describes this gift. He says this, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So I want you to think about that and actually put it in your notes. Edify, exhort, and comfort. What does that do? To edify is someone who will build us up. What does that mean, to build us up? It means that we are, they're going to teach us something that's going to cause us to grow and learn something about our faith. The exhortation is something that will stir us up. That is that we're going to be challenged to do something as a result of the message that we hear. And then, of course, the last one is comfort, and that is that it will lift us up. And that is that we're going to be challenged to feel something as a result of what we've heard. Built up, stirred up, and lifted up. Lifted up. Good teaching always does all three things. You know why? Because we don't do anything until we've learned about it. And we don't do anything, we don't take any action until we feel something. Once we learn something and feel something, we start doing something. So all these things work together. And the same thing is true with when we talk about apostles. The word apostle means sent one. So missionaries today operate like that. They're sent out. People who go plant churches today are sent out. Uh, However, are they apostles like the 12 apostles? No, they're operating in the verb form of that word, not so much the proper noun form, if that makes sense. Um, So they're not in the office of apostle. And once again, I know some people, there's pastors out there who call themselves apostle, and it's like, all right, do what you need to, man. But that's not my game. And so, but um, in Ephesians chapter 2, it's interesting that the apostle Paul links these two things together. He says this, In Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Paul puts prophets and apostles together in the same category as the foundation of the church. But here's the thing. 2,000 years later, we aren't still building the foundation. 2,000 years later, we are building on the solid foundation of the apostles and the prophets that, uh, were, that were given to us. And so back to the text, these prophets and teachers are praying and fasting, and God says, hey, Barnabas and Saul, I want you to separate them for a particular work, something that they've been called to. And by the way, I want you to notice, whenever God's calling, God is calling us to a work. 
God's calling us to something. It's never being called to a position. It's never being called to a title. And certainly we're not being called to just comfort and do nothing. God is calling us to work. And how does God call people? One of the things that I have experienced in my life, and I've, as I've observed thousands of people in, in ministry, is that calling usually begins with someone observing a need or seeing some type of opportunity for service. Sometimes God can speak totally out of the blue, for sure. But once again, usually, God will put something in your path that will connect with you. And you'll be like, man, what's going on there? Something needs to be done. And, and now, just noticing that, you start praying about that, and then God starts leading and showing you, like, no, 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 it's not just that something needs to be done. Someone needs to do this, and that someone is you. When my wife and I began praying about coming and starting this church now, oh, you know, more than 23 years ago, it began with us just noticing something. We noticed that there was no Bible teaching churches in this area. Now, when I say Bible teaching, I, I know that kind of everybody says they teach from the Bible. And what I mean is, when I say Bible teaching, I mean they're actually teaching the verses, right? Like we're going to start, read all the verses and explain what they mean, go chapter by chapter, book by book. Not like I read a verse and talked about whatever I wanted. So that's kind of what I'm saying. So now, but when we saw that, we started praying. I'm like, Lord, you need to send somebody. And then through a whole series of circumstances, we're like, oh, that somebody is us. Okay, we get it now. And, God, and not only that, but then God started confirming that he wanted us to go in a bunch of different ways so we could be confident stepping out. And sometimes, can I just say, sometimes it's not so drastic. Sometimes we already know what God wants us to do. A lot of times I talk to people and they're like, you know, I really want to start serving. I'm like, what are you waiting for? Like, I don't know, I'm just, just waiting for what? We're just waiting for the thing, you know. What's the thing? We know whatever that thing is when it happens, you know. And, and, and sometimes, listen, and I get it, because sometimes there's just a little bit of trepidation. I'm just a little bit scared, and so I'm kind of waiting for something to happen that'll tell me that this is the moment. And, and, and I remember being there. So when uh, I used to, a million years ago, I used to be in a band, and then uh, we were on the verge of a record deal, management, all that kind of stuff, and then uh, I became a Christian and walked away from it. About uh, two years later, some friends that I met at church had a band, and um, they were being courted by some record companies. And so I ended up joining the band, and they, um, we signed a two-album record deal. And uh, so we put out our first album, toured the country, then we came home, and then we were writing our second album. And I had started um, right after we got done with our tour that fall, I started working on my theology degree because I really felt called to ministry to do, I, I felt like this is what I was called to do. Um, the problem was I was, you know, 21 years old and, you know, you didn't want to hear me back then. And so I also knew that I was supposed to marry the girl I had been dating, who was now my wife, but, um, and I'm like, but I didn't know how to do that. And, um, and, and I, all my friends were single, so it's not like I, I, I was going to ask them. I mean, they had no experience in this. And so I was just, you know, we had been dating now for almost three years. And I'm like, at some point, I've got to ask her, but I just kind of thought like there's just some feeling that's going to come over me and that's when I'm going to know or there'll be some sign in the heavens, you know, like, uh, and then I'll know, you know, ask her today, you know what I mean? And it's like, I didn't know. So, and one night, um, and I've been thinking about all this for a while. And so one night I go to class. Now, if, if you press me, I'm, it was a Tuesday night class and I'm almost positive it was in the book of Acts. It could have been the gospel of Matthew. I'm not positive, but if you push me, 
I'll tell you that it was the book of Acts, but I'm not positive. And I had a class with um, a couple guys that were in that class are still my, some of my best friends to this day. But there was a, uh, there was a guy whose na- all, name was also Bob, who for the rest of the story will be referred to as the other Bob. So just for there's no confusion. So the other Bob takes me aside before class starts. And he says, Bob, check this out. And he pulls out a box with a ring. And he says, I'm going to ask my girlfriend to marry me. And I said, other Bob, you've only been dating for six weeks. And he says, I know, but I know she's the one. I know it for sure. And being the born encourager that I am, I said, other Bob, let me mark my words. This is not going to end well. And um, so I sit down in class. I don't remember one word that was spoken that night because all I could think of, uh, think about was, I've been dating Carrie for almost three years. What am I waiting for to ask her to marry me? I just, once again, I thought that something monumental had to happen for me to know. And once I saw the other Bob buy a ring, I thought they'll sell these to almost anyone. <laughs> and so, so I get a second job. And uh, so I can afford, you know, the best cubic zirconia out there. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Carrie doesn't like that joke. And uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, um, so I, I go, I, I, have, I had a friend in high school uh, whose dad was a jeweler. So I called him up and he goes, hey, let's go see my dad. So I go see his dad and I tell him what I want to do. And he's like, okay, great. And he gives me a good deal on a ring, which that's what he said. He said it was a good deal. So it must be. And um, but then I, I remember the day I picked, I, that's when I picked it out. He says, come back in a couple weeks and I'll have it ready. So I go, he calls me and he says, Bob, come over. The, the ring's ready. So I get him, um, I, I, I go to pick up the ring. And so I'm talking to him and I say, hey, listen, um, how do I ask her? Now, there was no, you have to understand, there wasn't like, you didn't just Google it. Listen, Al Gore had invented the internet by then, but it was not readily in use at, at the time. So uh, there was nothing out there. I couldn't watch a YouTube video, a hundred ways to romantically ask your girl to marry you. So I didn't know. So I'm, once again, I'm asking people, um, and, and I preferred to ask people who hadn't been married multiple times, even though they probably had a little more experience because they've done this a few, few times. Like, <laughs> when I asked my third wife to marry me, that was really, that was really good. And Anyway, so, but I didn't, so I was, so I was talking to him and I said, listen, I don't know what I should do. And then there was, um, a a couple of girls that worked for him. They're like, this is what you should do. And they, they like, and, and, and they just laid out some things that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. I can't do that. And, uh, I'm sorry. I can't even repeat it. Uh, and as far as what they were, they were asking me and I'm like, okay. So then I just turned to him and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, I'm like, sir, what do you think I should do? And, um, and he says, Bob, look, here, here's what you can do. And um, he said, if you're not willing to do something totally ungodly, here's what I would encourage you to do. And so he says, um, this is, a, this is a, um, a, a ring box that we have that's a, that's a, that looks like a rose and it has like a little stem. He says, so why don't you do this? Put the ring in here. So he gives it to me. He says, put the ring in there and then go buy a dozen roses and put it in the middle and then and give it to her. And that, that's a very nice way um, to do it. So I'm like, okay. So, um, now, you might think, so you went home and you thought about this for a while. No, no. 
I was at the jewelers, at the jewelers, which was on University and Commercial Boulevard, and then Carrie. It was a 15-minute drive, so I just went straight to her house because I didn't know you waited and thought about it. It was like I got the ring, I have the desire. This guy that I've known for you know a little while, he told me what to do. We're doing this. So I made a quick pit stop on the side of the road and uh, to a guy that was selling flowers. I bought two dozen roses because you know I really wanted to make the idea mine, and so. He said, just use one. I said, I'm going to do two because that's just the kind of guy I am. And so I get two dozen roses and then I put the, 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 the ring with the box in the middle and then I drive to her house because I thought her family is there and it would be nice if I, if, if I proposed to her in front of her whole family. Okay, first of all, that was not, uh, the establishment was not excited about that. And uh, which by the way, this is exactly what my nephew did a few months ago when he asked his girl to marry him, and, um, and everyone thought it was the most beautiful thing ever. And I am in the back like, yeah, I did this, and I have never heard the end of it, and it's been 28 years! Anyway, but whatever, I'm not bitter! So anyway, um, so I get to the door, I knock on the door, and, sh and Carrie answers, and she sees flowers. She's like, uh, she's like, hey, oh wow, that's so sweet flowers. I'll go put them in water. She grabs them and takes them, ah! You can't wait, wait! And so she said, what? And I said, um, the, uh, and I don't know what happened to me. I stopped speaking in full sentences. I started, I don't know if I was speaking Klingon or I was just, I was just saying like, wait, wait, other flower. I was just like, learn to speak English, man. And so I don't know why I just, I just started speaking in these like, you know, weird other flower, other thing different color. And, uh, and so anyway, then I guess I, I, because I am so nervous. I'm so nervous to do this. Once again, I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I don't know that there's any other way. Once again, I just talked to the guy 15 minutes ago and that's what he said to do. So it's like, I'm going to go do this right now. And I can just check that off of things I got to do today. And so I'm just driving. And so then um, I finally get inside because this whole conversation, I'm still standing outside and she's inside. And finally I step inside and I, I just kind of calm down. And, uh, and, and so, and I said, uh, Carrie, you didn't realize, you didn't notice that the middle one is different. And she's like, oh, hey, that's interesting. She goes, ah! And so, and, and I'm like, the middle one, is different, and um, and so then I open the box, and um, and she sees the ring, and then I get down on one knee and I ask her to marry me, and then Carrie said nothing. She said nothing, and you're like, well, I mean, for how long? I mean, long enough to make it awkward. Um, and 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 she she will she doesn't admit this. She says this isn't true, but I I think. It's like, hey, will you marry me? And she's like, scrolling. This guy was interested. This guy was interested. I wonder if he's still interested. Uh, is this guy available? Anyway, and so then um, I, I had to say the words that, that every boy longs to say. That when he asks a girl to marry him, he said the words, I, was, was, I said, Carrie, I'm going to need an answer. That's how long it was. <laughs> That's how long it was. I said, I'm going to need an answer. And, um, and then after some encouragement, um, she gave me an enthusiastic, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, yeah, of course, I love you. Not, Kiss me, you fool. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I get this all to myself. Uh, no, <laughs> I got, um, yeah. And you know what? I'll take, uh, for her, I'll take, um, yeah. And um, 
because we've been married for almost 27 years now. And uh, so, long pause, um, yeah, I did it all wrong in front of her crazy family, and, uh, and, and it, all, it all worked out. And, um, and so, and here's, and here's the point, is that sometimes, sometimes we already know what God wants us to do. We're just a little bit scared. And um, that's why, listen, God doesn't just call us. He equips us. And then you know what he does? He also confirms the thing that he's called us to do so we can have confidence in what he's leading us to do. And that's what happens next. Look what happens in uh, verse four. It says this. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucus, or Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, by the way, it's Salamis, I call it Salamis, but that's your, <laughs> that's your point of preference. But they arrived in Salamis, and uh, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they uh, found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on them, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he had seen what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing that I want to tell you is that my future is built on my gifts. Now, I want to explain that uh, for a second, but first, I want to talk about where they went. Now, check out the map for a minute. If you remember, they went, they started in Antioch, which is called Antioch of Syria. They go to Seleucia, which is the port city. They take a boat to the, the city of Salamis. And then after they have their fill of Salami, they go across Cyprus to a city called Paphos. Now that's where Sergius Paulus is. And that's where this whole scene that we just read took place. A couple things that I want you to know, you can take, nobody's paying attention to me because the map is so exciting. And uh, I promise to bring it back in a minute and because uh, we need to talk about it. So Sergius Paulus is what's called the proconsul of Cyprus, which basically means he's a governor. There's another word that's used, uh, which is procurator, which is also essentially a governor. The difference is, like Pontius Pilate was a procurator, Sergius Paulus is a proconsul, and uh, this is just a minor point, but just if you hear the different titles, they're basically the same title with the same level of authority. Pontius Pilate was a procurator because he was appointed by the emperor of Rome to his position. Why is that? Because Pilate married uh, a woman named Claudia, who was the granddaughter of Tiberius Caesar. So sometimes it's who you know. Sergius Paulus came from an aristocratic family, 
And he was proconsul, which means he was appointed the role of governor, his position, not by Caesar, but by the Roman Senate. So if you were appointed by the Senate, you were proconsul. If you were appointed by Caesar, you were the procurator. So now an inscription was found in 1887 that had Sergius Paulus's name on it, and it was dated to this same period, 45 AD. Luke gets it right again. Now let me explain something that is really important. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine Mediterranean islands. And some of them are still inhabited, right? Rome, Jerusalem, Athens, those are all, and, and, and others are still uh, inhabited. Others were not inhabited and have been discovered archaeologically, but Luke is right 100% of the time. So understand what's happening. And that is that he's naming cities, he's naming leaders, he's naming countries with 100% accuracy because this is what happened. And then he's also in the middle of that talking about miracles that are taking place, people that are being converted and coming to know the Lord. And, and what's the point? Is that, listen, when we read this and you're like, man, did this really happen? Let the physical details of the book, if we can trust that, we can trust the spiritual details of the book as well as people have been transformed. Now, we also see that Saul, and it says, whose name is also called Paul. Now, why is this? Um, this for the first century was a pluralistic society where multiple languages were spoken. And so for a person to have two or three names really wasn't uh, a, big, a big thing because once again, you would have a, a, you know, a kind of a Hebrew name, you'd have a Greek name. If you were Roman, you'd have a Latin name. So that's just, that stuff happened. Um, so Saul, um, the way it happened, uh, your, your name day happened in a Jewish culture on, on the eighth day of your life when you were circumcised. That's when you were given your name. He was given the name Shaul or Saul in English, named after the first king of Israel. Uh, that's a name that means asked for. And, and that's important because the people of Israel asked for a king and that's who they got, Saul. On the ninth day of his life, of, of uh, Saul's life, he got another name, that is his Roman name. And his Roman name was Paul. Paul is a name that means little. It was a very common name. And uh, in fact, Sergius Paulus, th th that name is in there. But you know, you can imagine a baby that's nine years old is small. So they call him Paul. That's what the name means. It means diminutive or small. Now, um, I've called my son Xander, I've called him big boy uh, since he was born. And that, I guess, was more of a prophecy because he was five pounds when we brought him home from the hospital. I mean, he was not much bigger than an action figure uh, when, we, when we brought him home. And now he's as tall as I am uh, at 14. And if he's wearing the right shoes, he's a little taller than me. And yes, that bothers me a little bit. Um, and I didn't think it would bother me. I'd be like, yeah, you're gonna be taller than me. And now some days he's a little taller than me. And I'm like, okay, so that's a thing now. And, uh, and so, but the other day, the other day I, I put my arm around him. And you know how, you don't think about this, but I think about weird things. And one of the things I think about is, you know how the, when you put your arm around someone, there's an overarm person and there's an underarm person. And the over and underarm is all dictated by who's taller. His whole life, I've been the overarm person. And yet, I put my arm around him as the overarm, and my shoulder started hurting because it was like kind of up like this. And I was so bothered by that. And I thought, oh, maybe I switched. I'm like, I'm not going to be the underarm person with my son. I mean, that's just, that's not right. So anyway, so, so then we were walking. And so I just like went up on my toes. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And then we were walking, and I'm like, this is not the manliest look I've ever had. And, uh, and so anyway, so 
<laughs> I don't know why I tell you some things, but here we are. So <laughs> Paul was small, Xander is not, so that's really it. So now, Barnabas and Paul get to Paphos, and they meet this uh, guy, uh, they meet Sergius Paulus and this guy that hangs out with him who's a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. Now, the thing you got to know, it, the word bar in the Hebrew language means son of. If you ever go to a bar mitzvah, that is a, son, that is a, um, a, a, a ceremony where a Jewish boy of the age of 13 or so becomes a son of the commandments, right? A son of the law where they come out from under the umbrella of their parents, and now they are taking on that they are going to walk with the God of Israel and follow his, uh, follow his command. So that's what that means. That's the, what the bar means whenever you see that. Now, so it means son of, uh, bar Jesus, son of Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name of saying uh, Jesus' name. It was a very common name in Israel. It translates more to Joshua. Um, but now, Luke is giving us an interesting juxtaposition because this guy calls himself Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. And yet Paul says that he is, in the verses that we read, uh, you're not son of Jesus, you are son of the devil. And this guy is a false prophet and a sorcerer, but it's interesting because he's also Jewish. And so that's why Sergius Paulus invites him to hear these two Jewish speakers that have just come to their island. When Paul sees that Elymas, that's his name, is blocking Sergius from believing, things get intense and Paul says, you're going to be blind for a season. The proconsul is moved by that. He hears the teaching of the word, and uh, he's converted. Now, let me ask this question, and that is, why does Paul blind the guy? Does he blind the guy just to be punitive or to be vindictive? Um, or, what I personally believe, that Paul understood the power of blindness. That when Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And for three days, he couldn't see anything and had to be led by the hand. And this gave Paul time to rethink his life. And I believe that not only is he trying to get this bar Jesus guy out of the way so that Sergius Paulus could hear the gospel, but he's also giving this guy time, which turns probably is a gift for him to rethink his life and what's happening here. One of the things that I think is really important is that not only when God calls us to something, he calls us to something, but also equips us. Meaning he gives us spiritual gifts to fulfill whatever it is that we've been called to. Now, you might need schooling or training or experience, and um, that's all important. But it all begins with the gifts that God has given you. Now, whatever schooling or training and all that, all that other stuff amplifies and enhances and enlarges the gifts that you've been given. But when you use your gifts that you've been given, you fan those gifts into flame, as Paul would say later, joy explodes in your life. Because your gifts are given to you, but they are for everyone else. And that's an important thing. My gift is teaching, but my gift isn't for me, right? I don't look at myself in the mirror like, I'm gonna tell you something you don't know, right? That's, like, that's, that would, that's what an insane person would do. And, and, and by the way, a teacher with no one to teach is the saddest person on earth. But even though it's my gift, the joy that I find is when I share it with everybody else. So I'll tell you, uh, it was my wife's birthday yesterday. And uh, yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. And, um, but, and, and so I'll tell you, and, and we've had a great weekend and we just, um, we are just celebrating for quite some time now because we, we, we just, we're lost without her. So we are just celebrating for a week or so 
and all this. So, but, but we, I started this tradition in our family a few years ago. And uh, when it was my son's birthday, I, um, I got this box. And I, got, I went to Home Depot. I bought a $1 moving box. Then I went to Target. And I just got all the things that he likes. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Oreos, Sour Patch Kids, Pringles, Funyuns, those little orange slices that aren't oranges but are better than oranges, those, those little guys. And then I put them all in this box, and I just took a Sharpie pen, and I just wrote the box of awesome. And uh, I didn't even wrap it. And so, you know, he got other gifts for his birthday. But when he opened that, it was so amazing to me um, because he was so happy that we had bought all the stuff that he likes, but he was like, oh, you know what we're going to do? And then that night we had this movie night and he brings out the box of awesome and all of us are sharing the snacks. We're laughing together. And all this joy happened when he decided that his gifts just weren't for, weren't for him. And afterwards, um, the, my girls uh, were saying like, oh, when, when I get my awesome box, uh, I'm going to ask for this, this, and this, and everybody's going to love it. And, uh, and so, it, why? Because they realized that when I take my gifts and don't use them for me, and I share my gift, joy explodes. And so I say that because we did an awesome box for my wife, but my wife is such a healthy eater. It's so hard. It's so hard. She doesn't like junk food. The closest that my wife gets to junk food is like raisin bran, right? That's, and I'm like, that's not even junk food. It has raisins in it. And it's, first of all, raisins are gross. And, uh, but anyway, so... Um, and I remember, I remember trying to get her. She's like, I can't, you know, she didn't want to eat junk, something that was really junk. And I'm like, girl, you've learned nothing from me. And uh, so anyway, but she's, she's healthier than the rest of us. And uh, no, but listen, God's call on your life, coupled with the spiritual gifts that God has given you, is a powerful combination that will bring great joy in your life and great blessing to other people. It is such a powerful thing and you don't realize it until you take the gifts that God has given you and you start sharing them and it just transforms everything. Well, look what happens next in verse 13. He says, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John departing from them and just put little tack in that. We're gonna come back to that in two weeks. Talk about that. Um, Return to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent for them, or sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now if you pause there and uh, give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you is that my future is blessed by encouragement. It's not just calls, it's not, it's not just the call, it's not just the gifts, it's the encouragement that we get along the way. Now, before I explain that, let me show you back on the map. I promised to show you the map again. And so remember, everything starts in Antioch in Syria. They go to Seleucia, which is the port city. They sail to the city of Salamis. Then they go to Paphos. Now, that's where Sergius Paulus was. Then they sail to Perga, which is in this region called Pamphylia. From there, they go to another city called Antioch, but it's called Antioch in Pisidia. So that's where this, this, the rest of this study and our next study will be here. The one after will be at Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And then this whole area is called Asia Minor. Uh, today, it's called the country of Turkey. So that's all in this area right here. Okay, now, we don't have time to cover Paul's entire sermon. I'm gonna look at that in depth next time. 
But I want to tell you this, is that Paul gives this message and people love it so much that they beg him to come back and teach more. And so it begins by the ruler of the synagogue saying, hey, does anybody have a word of exhortation for the people? Now, the word exhortation is, uh, the Greek word is uh, paraklesis, which is, um, which literally is a word means to come alongside and comfort or to come alongside and help. And so that is a word of encouragement or a word of comfort. And so uh, listen, we live in a world that it, where information is everywhere, but wisdom is almost nowhere to be found. Uh, facts abound, but there's no encouragement. And I'm going to tell you something, that you could have the call of God on your life. You could be the most gifted person on planet Earth. But without encouragement, you will not survive and make it to the finish line of everything that God has for you. Now, I want you to think about what that means. When we think about, we talk about encouragement, we think, it's like, oh yeah, that made me feel good. But the word encouragement literally means to infuse with courage. That when I'm encouraged, I'm able to do the thing that I know that I'm called to do because doing the right thing is hard sometimes. I think we also know that there are times where we are encouraged in the wrong direction, right? We've, we've experienced that too. About a year ago, I was uh, studying for a message uh, when someone from the Calvary staff knocked on my door and they said, hey, someone just brought Mojo Donuts. And if you've never had Mojo Donuts, seriously, friends, like you, there's some things you got to do today. So Mojo Donuts is for real. So anyway, um, so anyway, now at the time I was trying to eat healthier and I'm like, oh, no, thanks. And they're like, well, why don't you just take a break and come out and hang out with us for a few minutes? I'm like, okay, fine. So I go out there. Pastor George is like, hey, I know you like Boston cream, uh, so we have a Boston cream for you. So I said, all right, you know, I'll have like a piece of one. So he cuts it into four. I have like a little quarter donut just to be polite. And then, and he's like, oh, I remember last time you liked the churro donut, so I caught you a piece of that. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll have a piece of that. And then he's like, no, 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 you didn't like the churro donut, did you? You liked the Oreo donut. We have one of those, so I got a piece of that. And so now, by the end of this, me trying to be polite, I ate two and a half donuts. <laughs> of all of this little like cutting and splicing. And, um, and the worst part is that when I got back to the office, they sent me a bill. They're like, oh, by the way, we were splitting all this. So you cash app us five bucks. And I'm like, did I just get hustled um, by people that love God? I don't know, but this is messed up. And so, <laughs> and so listen, Whatever you're called to do, whatever your calling is, the right voices are going to encourage you to lean in harder to the thing that you're called to do. And the wrong voices, well, they're going to tell you to eat carbs and then send you a bill. Um, and so, but you know, it's not just words, because when we talk about encouragement, we usually talk about it in terms of words. And I know a lot of times when I teach on it, I talk about it in terms of words. But sometimes it's people's actions that can encourage us and really cause us to say, yeah, I'm going to do the thing God's called me to do. And, uh, and it makes such a big difference. So a, f a few years ago, this is going on four or five years ago now, um, we were buying the prop because when we bought this property, it did not include the two and a half acres um, uh, that are in front of this building or behind this building. So, but we had an opportunity to, to buy that to, to buy that two and a half acres. Now, nine months before that, I had made this decision that every week I was going to go up on the roof of this church, look, at, look over that property, and just pray over it that God would give it to us. So nine months later, uh, after a whole series of circumstances, I'll tell you that whole series of circumstances some other day, 
But uh, after a whole series of circumstances, I, I meet with the owner down in South Miami, and he says, hey, look, if you guys want to buy it, this is what we're, you know, we're selling it for. We negotiate, and we, we come up with a price. The challenge is, is that we had to come up with about $100,000 in 21 days. Now, um, the good people of Calvary have always been very generous, but $100,000 in 21 days is a pretty tall order. So now the other thing is, is that we had been planning on building a smaller building right out front here that we had, we had raised some money for it. We had the architectural plans done, and then it was going to be offices up top and then some classrooms on the bottom. And so we had a choice to make, like, do we proceed with that and let this go? And, but then, you know, in talking to our board and talking to the people who had given towards that, um, everybody's like, hey, the thing about real estate is that God's not making any more of it. You can build a building anytime, but if, if they build a Taco Bell or something right here, that's it. You know, so we said, yeah, we need to make, we need to go that decision. So we decide that we're going we're gonna to buy this. So we put that building on pause. We're still planning on doing it, but we put it on pause. And we said, we'll go after this first because then that would totally transform what we do. We'd be able to build, put our auditorium there and build a larger, uh, a larger sanctuary when we go ahead and do that. But once again, we still got to get through this roadblock of $100,000 in 21 days. So I just get up one Sunday and I just present it to the church. Like, hey, look, this is the opportunity. And if you want to be part of it, we'd love it. And um, that's kind of where, where things stand at, at this point. And, um, and I, was, I, I felt like that's what God wanted us to do. But listen, I, was, I, I, I felt like that was, in, in three weeks, that was a tall order. And um, so that was Sunday. Monday, I send out this email Monday morning. Hey, if you weren't at church, let me tell you what's going on. So I'm doing everything that I know to do to just let people know what the opportunity is if they want to be involved. A couple hours later, I get a phone call from a guy who doesn't attend church here. He's been here once or twice, but he doesn't attend here. And um, he calls me and he says, Pastor, I just saw this email about what you guys are trying to do and raise $100,000 in 21 days. I said, yeah, you know, so he asked me a couple questions about it. And he says, hey, I want to partner with Calvary, so I'm putting a check for $20,000 in the mail. You'll have it in two days. Now, let me just tell you, you got to be cool about it when people say that. So you can't just freak out. So you got to be like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, all right. And so now that was what I was doing with this hand. With this hand, I'm going, we're off to the races. And so, uh-huh, yeah, and I prayed for the guy and uh, hang up the phone. And I am bouncing off the walls by the time um, I get off the phone to tell the, the staff what's, what's happened. And here's the thing, right? That's the moment I knew it was going to happen. Because, I mean, if some guy that, I mean, I, I don't know that I could even pick him out of a lineup, said, I want to partner with Calvary, God's in this thing. And, um, and, and it's, and it's going to happen. This guy's one action encouraged me to believe that God was going to do it. And he did, and we own it, and we just, we rezoned it. And uh, that's what we're planning on building the next phase of our building. Yeah. Now, if you guys could just make interest rates come down and the cost of construction come down, we could make this thing happen. But um, so if any of you work at the Federal Reserve, please come talk to me after. And uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no Christian at the Federal Reserve. And so, and <laughs> so anyway, those people are all demon-possessed. Um, so, <laughs> oh boy. That's how people end up in bad accidents, saying things like that. So anyway, pray for me. Uh, but I'll tell you this, we have a similar opportunity. 
Uh, last year, we did a Christmas offering, and we said we we're going to raise $65,000 and um, over the course of November and December so that we could replace the sound system in this room, which had every speaker in this sound system had blown at least once. And um, sometimes it would just turn off in the middle of a service and then turn back on. It was, it was a pretty rough scene. But we replaced all that. We, we, we um, did a whole bunch of work in our children's ministry. And then um, we, uh, we decided, we, so we took care of all that. We ended up painting our building. We did a whole bunch of work in the church that needed to happen um, for children's ministry and uh, the auditorium and all that. So, oh, so um, this year we want to do something different but similar in, in, in the same vein. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and they're going to hand all this out to you. You can just listen. Um, I'll tell you everything that's inside so you can read it later. But um, we replaced the sound system in this auditorium last year. We need to do the same thing in our elementary environment, what we call the big room, is um, because that is the last of our very original sound system from the movie theater. So this stuff is going on like 15, 16 years old. And, um, and, and we've just been told it's, it's bad. And I realized that this week while I was writing this message, I heard someone pressure cleaning the side of the building. Now my office is right above the big room. And so I heard someone pressure cleaning and it was going on forever. And I'm like, first of all, why is someone pressure cleaning? We just, we just painted this building. And why are they only pressure cleaning one spot? So I come out and I realize that it's not pressure cleaning. The sound system had just turned on by itself and was just blasting static and, uh, because the thing has just gone totally haywire. And so anyway, we need to replace the, the, the children's ministry um, AV system. There is some equipment in this, some lighting and uh, some AV that uh, we need to replace in this room that has broken over the last eight years. The other big issue that we're trying to do is, uh, and by the way, if you haven't been here on a Friday night in our youth ministry, what God is doing in our youth ministry is really incredible. And um, we're seeing kids come to know Jesus. We're seeing them uh, begin to grow in their walk with God. We're seeing kids, most of our youth band are actual youth. Like, our, I mean, there's only like two college age students that are in the band. The rest is all youth, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. So one of the things that we want to do with the last part of this, um, of this Christmas offering, and the total that we're seeking to raise is less than last year. Last year we raised a little over $65,000. This year we think we can do all of this with fifty-five. so we don't want to ask more than what we need. But we want to invest in a person that can be a worship leader for uh, youth and continue to raise up these students. And when they're not just raising up musicians, uh, they're investing in the leadership of our middle school and high school with our youth director as this ministry continues to grow. So the, everything that you got in the envelope is a brochure that tells you about the Christmas offering. There's a commitment card in there. And um, you can, if you want to commit to it today, great. If you want to take it home and pray about it, that's fine. But let me also say something that I think is important. First, if you are here and you're just, you don't come here, you're just a guest, all right? I don't want you to feel compelled like, oh man, this is the shakedown. There's no shakedown. You can just listen and uh, this has nothing to do with you. This is just for people who call Calvary home. Within those who call Calvary home, I want to tell you, and I, 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 it's important to explain the difference between tithing and an offering. A tithing, is com a tithing is commanded in scripture, right? It's that first 10%, we talk about that, and... Um, but a, an offering, a free will offering, is just doing something that's in your heart. It's something that's in addition to your normal giving. But listen, it, it could be that 
we talk about um, children's ministry and youth ministry and all that, and you're like, I don't care about my kids. I don't care about anybody's kids. You know, you know I know you're not like that. But I'm saying you could just be like, hey, that's just not my thing. It's not what I get real passionate about. And, um, and that's okay. If you say, hey, that I don't, that's just not something that, you know, once again, this is what's called a free will offering. It's something that you want to do, not something that someone is trying to um, compel you to do. That's not this. And, and um, if you're like, this is the softest sell of all time, it is because I'm just not, uh, I, I'm not here to like, you know, this isn't like I'm trying to get you to buy a car, you know. Um, this is if you want to be involved. So this is uh, over above your normal giving if you believe that this is something worthy of, uh, of an offering. Now, the last two verses in your outline I love talking about. Because it's about the first offering that was taken in, in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, when God commands uh, the people of Israel to build the tabernacle. And I want you to notice what he says in this. He says, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring uh, to the Lord an offering. That's really the first key, right? You might just, under, that's everyone who's willing. So if you're not willing, that's okay. We're just talking about everybody who's willing that says, hey, this is, this is an important thing. We want every student who comes in here to be ministered to. We want every elementary age student to come in who comes in here to be ministered to. That's important to us. Then awesome. And I want to give you the, because this is what they said in Exodus 35. You're like, so what happened? So let me give you the report card of what happens in chapter 36. It says this. So Moses gave the command and the message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their uh, sacred offerings and their contributions, I love this phrase, you might want to underline it, were more than enough to complete the whole project. And that's why I'm telling you that if, if this is something that just like, man, that's awesome, I want to be part of that, then great. We'd love for you to be part of it. And it's just whatever you feel God was put in your heart. We have a goal that what we want to do, and that's what it takes to make it all happen. But once again, this is about everybody who's um, passionate about it. This is, hey, I want to be involved. And, um, and once again, we, just, we give a gift in proportion to um, what the Lord has done for us. And that's always been Carrie and I as we, we come to the year, uh, you know, Christmas offering. We want to do something in proportion to what the Lord has done for us. Because, you know, this thing that we talk about is not just a blessing for your kids and my kids and our kids. It's not just a blessing for us. It's a blessing for every person who walks through this door every week who comes after us. Because listen, there were people that you don't know that were sacrificial before with, and we're the one, we were the beneficiaries of it because they sacrificed so that we um, could then experience the blessing of it. And this is now our opportunity to bless those who come after us. So let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for loving us. We, we thank you that you have a, um, a calling on our lives. You have gifts that you've given us and that you want to con confirm those things in and through us and that we can not just be blessed, but that we can be a blessing. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin.
Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.